Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for what only can fill the inner core of your being with true satisfaction that is lasting and ever enlarging. For those of you that are new, I just briefly want to point out that I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where you will find a flipbook on the home page, which is free to read, that is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. A lot of the print is highlighted in red, and those are links to many profound and amazing YouTube videos that highly confirm for many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. And what am I sharing about? I am sharing about the very source of reality and of the reason for which all things consist and exist. The very source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love and of life and of all good that exists. The one true eternal God, whose name in the Old Testament, if you read it in English, it's usually the word Lord, and God is the other word, it's usually the Lord God, and the word Lord in the original is Yahweh. Some like to call it Jehovah. Yahweh is the most accurate, and that basically means the source of reality, the I am that I am, that is separate above and beyond creation. And the word for God is Elohim, which means the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, for God to be Almighty, he must reign in the three ultimate aspects of existence, as God the Father beyond creation and the time and space realm, as the Son fully the full expression of the Father into the creation and time and spatial realm. So that's the second ultimate aspect of existence is within the creation realm. And thirdly, as the Holy Spirit in omnipresence, filling all dimensions of existence and of time and space within the creation realm and beyond with God, the Father. So it is one God. And if you're not in personage, you can't rule in whatever realm we are talking about here. In this case, it's the creation realm or beyond the creation realm. You must be in personage to rule in these ultimate aspects of existence. So for God to be almighty, he is in three personages, but he is one God, the one true eternal God. And if you were a person and you had to rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence, you would have to divide. You would have to be in three personages to do that too. Anyhow, the reason I am sharing these messages is what I want to point out here. I share these messages because I want God's people to hear exactly what God is wanting to say to them in this particular time and hour. 
There's a scripture that says in Matthew 25 towards the end, Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. Doing what? Giving the sheep their meat in due season. In other words, we as spiritual leaders are to be those that are in such a relationship with God that we speak those things that are truly coming from God. It says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's referring to believers when they come together around Jesus Christ. In the early church, when they came together, there was total liberty for them to share as they sensed the Spirit rise up within them to share. Insensitivity to God and one another, not to be trampling over one another in the anticipation or the desire to share. No, being in the Spirit, you only share when the Spirit moves on you, and you know that if you have a relationship with God. And so one would have a song and another would have a word of encouragement or whatever and testimony, a word of exhortation or a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. But all the gifts of the Spirit were functioning in the body, and that is the way God has always intended it to be. And so that is something that is greatly lacking today in almost every congregation that the Lord will restore in these last days. And my message is a call to bring local assemblies, whether small or great, under a new order, which is the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ, where we do not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from inhabiting our local assemblies. And so I've written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon, which is in detail about all the things you can do in your congregations so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your assembly. And also that is true of you as an individual, that you do not limit the fullness of Christ from dwelling in you in these last days. It is a call to awaken the church to become his conquering bride church, to conquer your nation. This is the most important thing that you can do to conquer your nation with righteousness, with love, with life that will restore it from its fallen sick state where it's almost ready to give up as it were the ghost. In many cases around the world, this is the case. Now, this scripture I requoted in 1 Peter 4.11 is about speaking as the oracles of God is further understood from Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophetic utterance is speaking as the oracles of God. It is allowing God to speak through us. And how does that happen? Out of worship. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, in great humility and reverence out of love for God, we are filled with the spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are coming beyond ourselves that are indeed the words that God is speaking by his spirit. And so I will seek in this message to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship and to preach out of a heart set and mindset of worship. And one of the things I do to facilitate that 
as I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters from the Word of God, using two independent random applications that those chapters might bear witness with one another as to the theme, as to the message, and then I just meditate on them for a half an hour and preach either immediately after or after I've had a nap and a meal sometimes as well. And so today I've had my meal and my nap and I'm about now to preach this message. And I don't know what I'm going to be speaking because this time it's harder to perceive the theme. But I'm trusting God. I don't prepare notes. I'm allowing myself to speak out of the Spirit of God, seeking to do that, to serve you out of the love of Jesus Christ. So I will be sharing now briefly with you the two passages I received today and also touching on the ones I received the day before, as I don't always preach every day. I also seek for God to guide me to the right worship song out of a list of 1,257 songs. And so today, I have a song that came by the casting of Lot. I believe it was song... 780 in this hymn book of 1,080 hymns from throughout church history, and also from the underground church in China through the work of Watchman Nee, back, who was martyred back in the 1970s, I believe in 1972. So first of all, we're going to have a worship song, and so we'll go with that worship song now, as soon as I can find it here, to play before you. Now, there was one I picked yesterday as well but the one for today is 750 that was what it was so that's the one we will play Saturate us with thy spirit, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for saving our soul and making us whole and bringing us into that place of deep satisfaction that transcends anything that this world can bring before us that is a temporal delusion. How wonderful to know a destiny that is everlasting in our lives and a foretaste of that destiny even now as we experience the inner communion of the Spirit of God in our lives. Today I receive by the casting of Lot before God Genesis 44 and 25 and that was with two independent random applications on the internet. So, strangely, I got both of them from the book of Genesis. And, of course, yesterday, which I did not preach, the same thing happened with the book of Psalms. I got Psalms 68 and Psalms 123. Wow. And I remember it wasn't too long ago that I also got two chapters out of the book of Hosea. This is with two independent applications. So you know it's not uh, something wrong with the software. <laughs> so I'm just going to um, touch on beginning maybe with what I received yesterday. I received Psalm 68 and Psalms 123 on Friday, January the 13th of 2023. 
And in Psalm 68, verse 4 to 5, we read, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, which is all in capital letters. And rejoice before him, a father of the fatherless, and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. And we see in this verse that God rides upon the heavens by his name, which is Yahweh. It's a short form of the word Yahweh, this name here. It's the same name, the ultimate reality, the source of reality, the I am that I am. Yes, extol him that rideth in the heavens. But it says that God is in his holy habitation and he is a father to the fatherless and a judge of the widows. Those that have experienced rejection and have lived a lonely life that may feel orphaned in their being, God wants them to know that he is their true father that he is their true comfort, that they can know a total fellowship to make up for all that they have experienced of such severe loss in their lives. And we go on to read in Psalm 68, to him that writeth upon the heavens of heavens, <clears throat> which were of old. <clears throat> Lo, he does send out his voice and that a mighty voice. Ascribe ye strength unto God, which is in the original, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, thou art terrible, out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Literally, that's what it's saying. Now, it doesn't say Father and Son and Holy Spirit in the original. It says the Almighty's, but we know that's what it's referring to. And so in these two verses, we see the vastness and the infinite greatness of the heavens. And it says, and Solomon even had the revelation to say, that even the heaven of heavens cannot contain the Lord. And when it's speaking about the heavens of heavens, we're talking about these galaxies. We're in the Milky Way galaxy, which is millions of stars, and yet it's not one of the largest galaxies. And our sun is about a thousand times greater than the earth and its size. And yet it's a small sun compared to other stars out there that are hundreds of times bigger than our sun. And there's millions of these stars just in one galaxies. And there's millions of galaxies. They say there's more than the sand grains of the sea of stars. And that's why it says in the word of God that he would make them more numerous as the sand by the sea and as the stars in heaven. Now, I can't find those verses at the moment to quote them, but they are in the word of God. And so God is terrible out of his holy places. That's the places of habitation. And God that dwells in the heavens, that cannot contain God, seeks to have habitation with you as an individual and 
all the more so when you gather together around who he is, which is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father, is the full expression of the quality of the being of God's love, which is an ultimate perfection of love, that is the very source of love, that is so integrous and integral in purity that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love, to his love, which is a love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. But God's love is the opposite of corruption. It destroys corruption. But it's not only that God's love is that holy. It is that his love is so great that he that humbles himself to behold the things in the heavens, let alone the earth, would come down and have communication with Abraham in Genesis 18, would come down and suffer more than you, a mere creature on the cross, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross. And if it was only you that he created, he would still have done that for you. That's what those that have died and went to heaven have discovered. And of course, I've written a book called Godheadship. Pardon me, not Godheadship. Another book, which has just been published, called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. And I do have a far nicer book cover that's going to be up there soon as of this date of January the 14th, 2023. But those that have been in heaven, like Dean Braxton, which you can look up in YouTube, Braxton, B-R-A-X-T-O-N, just type in front of it, N-D-E, standing for near-death experiences in his name, describes in detail many things that he experienced when he stood before Jesus Christ as well as other things in heaven. And he describes how he knew such an intensity of love coming from Christ there that in this physical dimension, there's no way you could even comprehend or describe it. It was so strong. It is the very source of what is causing the bright light and life and colors and creation and all of everything to have intelligence and communicate telepathically. The plants communicate. They can also communicate in other ways as well. <clears throat> it is love. It is his love. And to think that God has always had a quality in his being that is so great that he would humble himself and suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, just for you so that you could choose to repent and be reconciled to him and know a love relationship with him that will ever enlarge without end forever in creative experiences of fulfillment and fellowship with your creator, Yahweh the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the other psalm I received, there's Psalms 123, and I read verse 1 to 2. And there it says, a song of decrees, unto thee lift up mine eyes, unto thee I lift, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants Look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. 
there's an emphasis in both of these chapters on the fact that God dwells in the heavens. He has his terribleness coming out of his holy places in the heavens. His terribleness in the sense of it being good and positive because it is terrible against all that is evil and corrupt. God's holiness is good because it ensures that goodness will never be corrupted, that it will ever enlarge, that there's a destiny called heaven that we can enter. And so God is emphasizing to us the greatness of his majesty and his might and to consider the heavens and their majesty that he dwells there and yet he seeks out of great love for you, so great that he died on the cross for you and humbled himself to dwell in you. And God is jealous for you that you would come to a place of knowing him and abiding in him and having a relationship with him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance is very clear in the word of God. So everyone has an opportunity to receive or reject the ultimate source and manifestation of love. And to reject his love is to be in hell forever, in a place of terrible torment, because you bought into lying delusions the whole of your life. Things that are not the very source of reality and of life. Now, I want to go on and share with you what I received today, also from the word of God. Today I received Genesis 44 and Genesis 25. And first of all, I want to mention about Genesis 44. This is the account that is well known by many of us of the sons of Jacob that because of a famine were forced to go into Egypt to find food in order to survive with their household. And those that are new may not know all of this, so I mention it briefly. Jacob was the father, and he had a favorite young son whose name was Joseph. And he favored him so much before all of his other sons, and mostly sons, and one daughter, Dinah, he favored Joseph so much so that he made him a coat of many colors and the other brothers, as young teenagers and so on, became very jealous and consulted together of how they would kill Joseph. But instead decided to throw him into a pit and then bring him up and sell him to some people, uh, Ishmaelites, I believe, as a slave who sold him to some people in Egypt. And of course, Joseph began to serve a particular man of high position in the army of Pharaoh. And it's a long story. His wife wanted sex with him and he wouldn't have sex with her because he feared God and wanted to respect um, her husband. 
So he fled and left his garment with her, and then she falsely accused him of raping him, and he ends up in jail. He had a very difficult life. You can imagine the pain of what he felt, that his brothers, that he thought at least would love him as a brother and as a kindred person of the same family, would actually seek to kill him and to sell him as a slave. Can you imagine the pain and the hurt of rejection that he experienced? Through all of that, I'm sure he wept much with a broken heart and cried out unto God. He had a genuine faith in God, as Jacob did, and he feared God. And so he's in prison, and they find out he's just a man of great wisdom, and so he's given positions of authority in the prison. And eventually told by Pharaoh that this man is amazing. He interprets dreams, and so Pharaoh calls him because he has this dream. And Joseph interprets it, and Pharaoh decides to make him the second in command over all of Egypt. And so now there's this famine and all his brothers that have sold him as a slave come and they don't even know that who they're standing for is their brother. And he treats them at first roughly and tells them, I'm not giving you anything until you bring back your youngest son, which was not part of the conspiracy because he wasn't born at that time when they sold Joseph. And so they come back with a son and Joseph says, does some things to really put fear in them because he has the ability to kill them just like that as the second command with Pharaoh. And um, I won't go into all of that for time. And so after they leave to go get Jacob, he sends his servant after them and say, how come you stole the money and so on? And so they come back and they find the money in the youngest son. And so, and so the youngest son sack. And so he says, you get, and Judah cries out and says, no, I promised my dad that if I didn't bring Benjamin back, that I would take his place. And so Judas offers himself to be um, a servant of Pharaoh to, and, and to not go free and to let the younger go free. Well, then they Joseph begins to, to be so broken in his heart. He calls everyone to get out of there. Just leave him alone in front of his family. He cries and he cries and he says, I'm your brother that you sold into Egypt. And God gave him mercy towards his brothers. And he said, don't be troubled. God allowed this to happen so that I would go before you to save your lives and the lives of many. You know, there's a scripture that says, until his word came, this is in the book of Psalms, the word of the Lord tried him, and it's referring to Joseph. Until his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The word that came to Joseph that made his brothers and so on so jealous that they sold him into Egypt was that he told them that he had these dreams from God that he would be ruler over them. <clears throat> that was the word that came. The word of the Lord really tried him in the meantime, didn't it? It put him through a process to conform him to the image of Jesus Christ who cried out on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
The very ones that God has created are crucifying him on the cross. And Joseph is saying, I choose to forgive you. He's been conformed to the same love that is in God. And the song that we sung was about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So God that is in the heavens has a plan. And he beholds all things. And he had a plan for Joseph. And he had a plan for Jacob and his family. And here is Jacob who lost his son and thought that his son was killed. His son Joseph was killed because they said, oh, look, at they put animal blood on the garment and said, look at Jacob, your son. He must have been killed by animals when in fact they sold him into Egypt. And so Jacob is a man of God and here he is in, in his latter years and his heart is broken saying, God, why would you do this to me? You blessed me with causing me to escape from Laban and you blessed me with my children and so on. And why would you hurt me like this? Why would you allow me to go through all this pain all my life where my son thinking that he was killed by God, that God allowed him to be killed? You can imagine what was going through his mind. Did I fail to to chastise my son when he was saying all these things that he would be a leader and so on? Was, did I fail you, God? Is that why you took his life? No. The day came when his sons came back with 12 mules of food for Jacob and wagons to bring them all back into Egypt where they could survive the famine and be with their son, second in command of Pharaoh in the land of Goshen. Can you imagine? The joy that came into Jacob after all those years to find out that God had a plan that great. That indeed the dreams that Joseph had came to pass. That God's hand was after all in his life when the enemy was lying and accusing him. No, God's not with you. He wouldn't allow these things in your life. The accuser of the brethren, the accuser of our own hearts. Brothers and sisters, there are many of you that have been going through a journey in your lives that is like unto the patriarchs. And the Lord is saying to you, until your word comes, the word of the Lord is trying you. Thus says the Lord, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, for the one that has no children shall have more than the married wife. You've been grieving and wondering why everything's been going wrong in your life, why you're so barren. And I can say that's true of my life. Why every time when I fell in love with a godly woman did I get rejected by her? What was so terrible in me all my life that I had to go through so much pain and rejection of falling in love and then being rejected time and time again, one lady for 14 years. And I loved her with such a pure heart was more than 14 years actually that I was deeply in love with her but rejected 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 and then it happens again with another lady and another lady throughout my whole life that's part of what God is talking about in this song brothers and sisters of conforming us to his image of bringing us to a place where we know such a love relationship with him that the natural loves of this world no longer are the things 
that can be factors of influence and control in our lives because we've come into a deep, such a deep love relationship with our Creator. It doesn't mean that we still don't desire those things. I, I have strong desires still to be married, and I believe God has someone for me. But I'm not putting my hope in that. Now I'm married to God, whether I have that or not. But I certainly try to seek that out. And sometimes I get still get my affections really strong in someone that I like. And there's nothing wrong with that if it's in submission to God. But sometimes I have had to repent because it's got out of control. But I'm being honest. But God is wanting us as his people to know that he has a plan for us. That he that is in the heavens, seeks also to dwell in a fullness within us. And that that fullness within us should have such love with authority and humility that when we go forth into this dark world, multitudes become converted and come into the kingdom of God. And that's what he's preparing right now. He has a plan. God's allowed an awful lot of corruption to take over the United States and the nations of the world at this time, including emergency mandates that are unfounded, that are phony, as an excuse for dictatorship to take away many people's freedoms. And I can't go into all the terrible things that are happening here. I'm here to call the body of Christ to wake up in this hour and become his house of prayer and his house of holiness. And so that's what's in Genesis 44. It's the story of Jacob and Joseph. But in Genesis 25, which is the second chapter I received, it's about Abraham. It's about Abraham finally finishing his life. And it says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. Beginning in verse 8 as an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which means terror, which is in Mamre, no, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heath, meaning terror. There was Abraham buried, and Sarah his wife. God is calling us to be in such a place with him of love that there is no fear in our lives, that there is no terror. Abraham experienced the pain of losing Sarah, but he volunteered to offer his own son on the altar, Isaac. With most of us, we don't volunteer to offer our children, but God allows us to go through deprivation, maybe where our children persecute us even before they come to the Lord. But he has a plan for them to come to the Lord as much as he did with Jacob's sons, to repent and turn to him and his daughter, I suppose, as well. To repent and turn to him as they did when they were confronted with Joseph, Joseph, which is a type of Christ that will be revealed to Israel in the last days, when it says in Zechariah 12, they shall look upon me, that's speaking of God, whom they have pierced. This is when Christ returns and sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives and it splits in half in the last days. 
And at that time, his glory will cause a mighty earthquake that will cause the nations of the world to collapse and all the high skyscrapers to come down. But wherever God's people are congregated, there will be the habitation of his glory in the last days, and they will be protected from the destruction of the buildings falling around them. And then the glory of God will fill the air, and it will cause those that are the wicked to breathe when they breathe the air to be devoured by the flames of God's presence that are in the air. The glory of his presence, like a fire, will devour them. And he will set up his kingdom upon the earth. And this is all described in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 33, for example. And there are many other chapters. Isaiah 24 talks about congregations praising him in the midst of the destruction of the fires that will happen at a time when Christ begins to set his kingdom up upon the earth. And he's calling us to come together to be part of those that do not limit the fullness of the glory of God from inhabiting you as individuals and corporately in these last days. He's asking us to return to the genuine fear of God. I want to continue reading a little bit more here in Genesis 25. Verses 20 to 23, And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And so God will when we bring our barrenness before him, be entreated of us as we continue to bring it before him. There is the day when the Lord will visit us if we are those that are seeking him and seeking to be living a life in his presence. He will visit us as sure as he did. And he will cause our barrenness to be turned to great fruitfulness with his provision as he did with Rebekah that brought forth twins. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, or Yahweh. And Yahweh said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. God is saying from these two chapters today that he has a plan, and that he expects you to be those that trust him through this Barrenness, that do not rebel through your period of barrenness, but you continue to persevere with trust and to trust him until there's breakthrough, you to continue to entreat unto him, for there's a time soon coming of his visitation to his people. God does have his times of visitation. And that time of visitation is soon upon us, brothers and sisters, for we are living in a time when there is a great flood of wickedness. Throughout the world, here in the nation of Canada where I live and in the nation of the United States, which is the epicenter. 
And the Lord says by his spirit, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And right now, he's calling you back to your first love, to repent and to turn to him and to turn to become his house of prayer and holiness. Churches need to come together in each community and town. As mentioned in my book, fast and pray for three days and even go on an Esther fast if you can, medically speaking. And seek God and become desperate. And then when you have your church services, don't go back to just being another church. You start all your church services on your knees and forget about pre-service prayer meetings. Your church service should always start as a prayer meeting on your face before God. This is what God wants in the new order. And then out of that prayer and great reverence before God, you become more conscious of Christ in your midst than any person at the front or any program or any program to sing. And then one sings out a song as the Spirit, after a time of prayer, as the Spirit leads him, and another, and another. And then one gives a word from God, and another gives a word from God. And maybe there is a piano player or something up there, and they, they begin to sing corporately, and then another begins to give a word as they sense the Spirit. Then you sing again as the Spirit leads, and you're sensitive to when the Spirit is moving on the congregation and on you as an individual. And then God comes forth in his glory, and then in the end, the leadership speaks, confirming what has already been confirmed as to the message to be given through the prophetic words that have come out of the congregation, through words of exhortation, encouragement, prophecy, prophetic knowledge, testimonies, etc., etc. <clears throat> so this is the message that God is speaking. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message and please continue to remember me in prayer and support me in prayer and with purchasing my books or you can also go to loverealize.com where i have a place where you can donate towards me i am in a lot of debt in a serious situation right now and that's because of some bad dis business decisions actually i should be totally out of debt because and in a good position financially because i was supposed to receive ninety three thousand dollars that was rightfully mine from my mother but you know, things have happened and I haven't received it because of decisions made by, it's a long story. But I'm praying that God will work out all of those things and I've forgiven those that have done that to me, that have done that. It's a very serious thing to do something like that. But I believe God will be merciful. And I'm just praying that you would um, support me in prayer and if you feel so led and God speaks to you financially, I'm not a nonprofit organization. I won't do that unless God shows me to do it. If he does, then that's fine. But there is a place at loverealize.com to support me there, as well as you can purchase. There's links to my books, which you can purchase on Amazon. So God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.